He's kind of like the Joe Rogan of the hospitality industry right now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You don't have to have a fancy title to lead. Anyone can lead and provide guidance. We can be a beacon of light to anyone, to everyone. We can learn from anyone. And, and, and I love that. I think your story and mine are very similar in many ways. I mean, I never give up on myself and you never give up on yourself. We had dark moments. We had times when we wondered, is it even worth it? What is all this about? Why am I here? Why am I going through this? You know, moments where you do some serious soul searching, some introspection, and you feel like you've reached a breaking point. We're bent, but we never broke. You know, we never give up on ourselves. We knew that somehow something was going to happen for us. There was going to be a way. We're just going to stick with it and keep pushing and fighting and pushing and fighting one day at a time. And here we are still standing all these years, still standing, still standing all these years. So ultimately, we have to believe in ourselves. You're listening to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, a podcast for those who are in and around the hospitality industry who love, live and breathe what they do. You can join us for candid and unscripted conversations with hospitality experts and founders as we go deeper into their personal stories while they're sharing their triumphs and trials that got them to where they are today. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and you're listening to an episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast. Now, let's begin. Running a short-term rental business is challenging and time-consuming. Whether it's 10 units or 1,000 units, trying to keep up with the latest trends, technology, hardware, revenue management, guest support, and R&D, it's become almost impossible and increasingly more expensive for the everyday host. On top of that, all of this tedious work does not allow you to focus on what matters most, and that is your guest. Luckily, this will no longer be a problem. Introducing Journey's MOS, the newest and most advanced tech solution in hospitality. Journey's MOS provides you with a one-stop solution that will automate your entire operation and take care of all of your back office work, allowing you to fully focus on growing your business the way you want to. To learn more about MOS, visit Journey online at journey.com. That's journey, J-U-R-N-Y.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. And as the intro states, you know, we're interviewing experts and founders in the industry that love live and breathe what they do and dr jeffrey you are the man 
that loves, breathes, and lives hospitality just from uh, getting to interact with you on LinkedIn, have our pre-chat before the show, and just getting to know you a little bit better. So, Dr. Jeffrey, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing absolutely terrific. I appreciate the honor of being invited uh, to your show. You're running a great uh, show. I'm a big fan of what you're doing now and, uh, with, your, with your group, not just your show, but also your company as well, hospitality.fm. So thanks for having me on. And uh, just uh, it's a pleasure. Of course. Of course. Well, uh, I think it's the best time to discover who your story and who you who you are from uh, your background and so for all the listeners out there can you just jump right in for us on where did your journey begin how did you you know because you've got a pretty extensive career um, from hotel executive to your institute now that you have uh, for hospitality so let's go into the beginning the origin story and then lead up to where where you are today Absolutely. I started out working at uh, the front desk in a property in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, it was a Marriott Hotel, actually, located on Price Street, right in the middle of downtown Baltimore. Uh, my first job, like I mentioned, was as a front desk agent. I absolutely loved it. I didn't have any ideas, any preconceived notions about the hospitality industry. I was simply looking for a job. And I walked into this building and uh, interviewed. They had positions open. And I thought, you know, I could probably do the front desk. It doesn't look like it's going to be very difficult. And I saw, you know, I applied and uh, they called me a couple of days later and I uh, had an interview with the HR folks and they hired me. And that was the beginning of my journey. And uh, so I worked as a front desk agent for a while, then eventually got promoted to supervisor and I audit manager and eventually became my front desk manager. And then I left that property at some point and went to another property where I became a GM and then moved on to G, uh, GM and then moved on to you know, higher roles moving into the corporate world as a vice president, divisional vice president, uh, chief operating officer, and chief executive officer, all of those prior to my joining, um, you know, starting uh, up with uh, IHI, the International Hospitality Institute. So let me ask you this. You, you're a front desk man like I was, uh, especially with Marriott. So we both started Marriott at the front desk, walked in and applied, got the job. Um, my question to you is what is the biggest change you've seen from those days to where you are now with the International Hospitality Institute? I think there's been a lot of change, as you might expect, uh, relating to technology. I mean, back then, I remember when I was hired at this particular property, they put me in the back office in the PBX area, and they had this computer screen with something called CBT, you know, that you had to sit in front of with this green screen. And for those who are familiar with the Marriott brand, or at least worked for Marriott back then, and you sat in the room and went through all of these prompts and questions, learning the system, learning Marsha, learning the PMS, the PMS and all of that. So there's been a sea change. I mean, since then, it's been a lot of technology being deployed to run hotels better, to have all kinds of uh, tools available to not only associates, but also to guests or patronizing hotels. So I think technology has been a radical difference. If you look at what was happening back then and now, it's so much different from what it was back then. Yeah. And I was going to say, maybe are you seeing anything? Uh, first, we'll go into describing the the Institute, what, what you guys are trying to build, what you're building on the back end, how it's been with COVID. Um, but then are you getting a lot of insight from the students that attend or that are they kind of sharing, hey, this is, you know, what we're experiencing on the ground. How do we how do we, you know, tackle this challenge or how do we overcome this barrier uh, when it comes to actual guest service on the ground? 
I think you've got, we, we get a lot of feedback from our students all over the world. I mean, IHI obviously is global. We've got students and a presence all over the world, different countries, just about every continent except Antarctica. So there's been a lot of feedback we, we receive. And a lot of the feedback relates to the challenges that COVID has imposed on hotel assets, on the process of running hotels. We, we're hearing a lot about that. You know, we're hearing about a reset, people having to rethink scheduling, you know, looking at the flexible scheduling structure as opposed to what used to be. It used to be you work the morning shift, you work the, the evening shift, and then you work the overnight shift. All of those things are changing. There's a lot more flux in, in how we operate hotels, how we hire people, how we manage people. You've got companies struggling with finding staff. You've got companies wrestling with high turnover. You know, things are very different. The dynamics really have changed in so many ways. And COVID has altered the landscape. So we get a lot of feedback from our students saying, you know, how do we approach this new normal? How do we do this in this post-COVID environment? So we get a lot of feedback relating to that. Well, can I ask uh, for you, or at least when it comes to the feedback given, what's the what's been the biggest, um, I guess, for, for like, is a scheduling issue or not issue, but is a, the flexible scheduling, is that changing for the better um, going against the grain of AM, PM, midnight, uh, mid shift, or even night audit, or is it actually a bad shift and change in the scheduling when it comes to uh, front desk or housekeeping? Nobody knows when they work or how long to work. Are they being overworked? Are they doing more than their job description? Uh, is it what's it changed to be? Yeah, the change actually has been very positive. I think when you have change, something that people are not used to. It takes a while for folks to get their arms around it to really truly apprehend what's happening. And uh, but what we're saying is, people are receiving that flexible scheduling really well. You know, people have the opportunity. You've got people who have daycare issues; they don't have someone to watch the kids at certain times of the day. The husband may be out at work. The family can't afford daycare, so the lady stays at home and watches the kids until the husband comes back from work, maybe at four or five p.m. By offering flexible scheduling such a person is able, going to be able to go to work. They don't have to leave home at the crack of dawn at 6 or 7 a.m. to go to work. Now they can wait till the husband gets home at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 4 p.m. and go put in five, six or so hours and then come home. So I think it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. I think that we're a little bit uh, resistant or hesitant as an industry to embrace some of this until COVID sort of altered things for us. But yeah. It's been really great. And most of my friends, I've got friends who are CEOs and hold senior level positions in our industry and they're embracing it you know and that's the thing i like to point out our industry has been remarkably remarkably receptive to the feedback that we have received post-covid or even during the you know even at the beginning of covid so we are not we've not been tone deaf we've not ignored the realities of the marketplace people are responding a lot of companies are responding they're more flexible with hiring they're more flexible with uh, with uh, training they're more flexible with all kinds of things with scheduling so I think the hospitality industry as a whole has been receptive and has continued to receive the feedback that's been provided by folks who are you know, dealing with the COVID uh, disruption to our daily lives. Yeah, it's crazy to see the change from 2019 to, to now with that change and flexibility because I remember working for an owner specifically who said, it's never going to go, we're never going to change the way we operate. Mm -hmm. uh, we are reliant on OTAs. We are willing to pay $800,000 in revenue to booking.com or whatever OTA 
Uh, we don't care. Like no one's going to change it. Supply and demand. This is how it is. And now 2022, here we are. And you're saying CEOs and founders and executives are not listening to this feedback and having it fall on deaf ears, but really to uh, apply it, which is a big, big difference because now I, I remember my, the, like those, those days very clearly when I heard those words of things, this is how we've operated the last 20 years. This is how it's going to be. And this is how it, like nothing's going to disrupt this um, to, to now. So it's quite fascinating, but I also want to ask you a question because you go from front desk to AGM to GM to executive the CEO, and now you're a founder and what, and I, I guess for going into the shift and the transition and, and talking about change, um, what has been, what was the idea behind the Institute and, and what made you want to take that leap and shift away from the executive side of things? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I'm glad you mentioned that. I worked for most of my, you know, working life in operations, like you mentioned, running multiple properties, you know, as CEO, CEO, you know, divisional vice president and all of that, doing a ton of traveling, interacting with people from all works of life. And I truly, truly enjoy that. But I sort of reached a point in my life where I wanted to do something different. I wanted to be able to contribute a little bit more. It's not, now it's about legacy building for me. It's not just about making a living. I think we often think about making a living and we don't often think about the impact we're going to make on the life, on the lives of people around us. I don't just want to make a living. I want to make a legacy. I want to have an impact. You know, Steve Jobs, I think, is the one who famously wrote about making a dent on the universe. I want to be able to make a dent on the universe. I want to be able to have a lasting impact and a legacy. And what better way to do that than to be able to give back? So having worked in operations all of my life, I wanted to transition to the edu educational side of things and be able to help promote learning and be able to help promote advocacy and really campaign and, and cheerlead, if you will, for our industry. And I love that. So I consider myself first and foremost to be an evangelist. And I evangelize about the hospitality industry, which I love so much. There aren't a lot of things that I'm very good at. And I think hospitality is the one thing I think I have, I'm fairly good at. I love people. I love to talk. I love to deal with people. I interact with people. And I think our industry is so amazing. It's so amazing. And that's why I tell folks who may be soured on our industry, who may be hesitant to take the plunge to work in the hospitality environment, think about it. Seriously, think about it. You are not going to go wrong working in this industry. It's a beautiful industry. There's none like it. And I can truly say that. So to get back to your question, I wanted to sort of pivot to something a little bit different and yeah. be able to help build a legacy and be able to give back. So what IHI does is not only the educational piece of things, we also do recognition. We also do advocacy. Last year, we put out the H code, which I'm sure you've heard about, the Hospitality Code of Ethics. Uh, it's interesting, Will, that our industry until then did not have a universal code of ethics for the industry, which is kind of strange for our industry such as ours. So IHI set about putting one together, and we've got that H code, which is posted on our website, and it defines you know, what we should be doing, how we should be treating each other you know, stakeholders working in the hospitality industry. So we do advocacy work. We do recognition work. We've got different award uh, programs. Last year, we had a couple of them, uh, the Hospitality Power Index, top 50 most influential, uh, most influential leaders in USA hospitality, which you were one of them. I had never even met you. You know, I you know, I've never met you until now. We've never met. But, you know, your work speaks for you. And that's the reason why you earned a spot 
in that particular you know category it wasn't about we didn't we weren't looking to list people who made the most money people are ceos people have got buildings we simply wanted to list people who were having the most positive influence mm. on the hospitality industry and will slicker just happened to be one in the usa yeah. so we're doing those kind of things recognizing people who are in the front lines people who are giving it giving it their all in advancing and trying to advance our industry so we've got our award programs the one i just mentioned the Hospitality Power Index, the top 50 most influential leaders in hospitality, USA and global. We've got the Global Hospitality Awards, which is actually going to be announced in the first quarter of 2022. We've got the Julian Star Award, which I keep telling people is not the same thing as a Michelin star, although yeah. it's sort of similar in spirit. And we've got a bunch of other things we do to recognize folks who are doing great work in our industry. So you've got recognition, you've got advocacy, and you've got training. IHI has a bunch of certification programs for professionals in our industry. And in a month or so, we're actually going to roll out, believe this or not, free, free training programs for the industry where people are going to be able to go on a particular website and get trained in hospitality and not have to pay a dime for doing that. We want to give back. I want to build a legacy. I want to have an impact in the world that I live in. And it goes beyond simply making dollars. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's you got me fired. Like I got goosebumps just listening to you go. That's like, ah, he just got me fired up. Um, okay. So let me ask you this then, cause we, you know, education, I think, um, in our industry, a lot of the learnings, at least from my experience, this has probably definitely changed since I've left the hotel and, you know, on the ground work. Um, but my, my expectation from learning was never that it was going to be a course or anything. It was always in the action, in the moment, you know, in the field, if you want to call it that. Um, and so for you guys creating an educational platform, not only for education's purposes and sakes, but for evangelistic and, uh, you know, advocacy work as well. Um, what has been the biggest challenge getting into the education side? Um, has it been creating the content? Has it been uh, building the infrastructure? What has it been getting people to sign up and, and, and be a part of it? What's been the biggest uh, driver or challenge that you guys had to overcome with IHI? I think for us, the biggest challenge, surprisingly, has not been the take rate. It's not been people not signing up. We have, we have a, a massive number of people signing up for our programs, our certifications. We've got one of the largest hospitality groups globally on LinkedIn, you know, easily top three and is, is a international, international hospitality institute group on LinkedIn. It's got 161,000 members in our community wow. on just LinkedIn. So we have a massive take rate. People are signing up left and right. People are taking our courses. That has not been a challenge. The challenge, Will, is actually this. We are scrambling to keep up with the courses that people are asking us for. Mm. People call, call or email us and say, you know, how come you guys don't have a course for this? How come you don't have a course for that? And we think, you know what? That's a good idea. We really should have a course for that. Yeah. And we start scrambling and getting people together to help put together these courses. And we've got... Uh, an academic advisory board, which we're going to be announcing in the next uh, probably two or two, uh, two or three weeks. And it's going to have the most illustrious academicians from all over the globe represented on the academic advisory board would also help provide us with guidance on how we can quickly meet the needs of folks who want certain kinds of courses. I think uh, you and I had a pre-chat, I think a few days ago, and I mentioned how we've got a new course that we're planning to roll out that's going to target the peer lodging industry. Yeah. Everyone calls it, you know, they think about Verbo and Airbnb and they call it short-term rentals, which I don't like in terms of short-term rentals, maybe because I come from the hotel industry. Yeah. It still has a whiff of impropriety, if you will. And you know exactly what I mean. So I prefer to call it 
provisional lodging. So mm. we're going to be creating courses that's going to, to certify people who work in the peer-to-peer -peer lodging space. People work at Verbo and Airbnb or people who operate those facilities. So there's going to be some sort of standardization, which currently is not in place. We want to be able to have that in place. So when you go to an Airbnb or a Verbo or any of those places, you're going to know what to expect. You're going to know that your kitchen is going to have spoons and knives. Yeah. You're going to know that there's going to be toilet paper in the bathroom. You're going to know you're going to have a certain number of tiles in the pool, yeah. which right now is a great industry. It's a great segment. But I think everyone in it would admit that it hasn't been a lot of standardization. And you go into one place, you don't quite know what you're going to get. And the reason why brands and McDonald's have been so successful widely is because you know what you're going to get. If you yeah. get a Big Mac in Kentucky, and then you go to Idaho to get a Big Mac. It's going to be a Big Mac. It's not going to taste any different. Yeah. It's going to be the same. And we think people want to have a sort of semblance of that when they go to provisional lodging facilities. So to answer your question, once again, in a nutshell, the challenge we face is being able to keep up with the different courses that people are asking us to create. Yeah, 100%. And I, I just want to touch on that professionalization side a little bit because um, – you know, that is the biggest challenge a lot of people that I talk to in the vacation rental world is that they, they always go, well, it, it, you know, standardization is important. We have one side that's very heavy on standardization, getting getting very um, down to the detail of keeping uh, consistency. But then you have those who are saying that it's impacting their creative uh, flow. It's an impact the, the, the property's character and this and that. And granted, like I'm all about create, like I've seen some amazing creative properties from Star Wars houses to Jurassic Park, <laughs> you know, like all this other stuff. But the one thing that they do, what makes the creativity stick out more than anything is the standardization of linen amenities and keeping that quality up at that level rather than just putting it together and as you know probably creating content when it comes to educational content um, there's a difference in quality versus quantity you're just trying to push out content and courses and quality i just you know never know can be it won't be consistent and won't be uh through and through the same versus if you're just focusing on quality then you have to do slow down on the quantity a little bit so it kind of comes back down to to that and so i'm kind of curious for you um creating these courses, listening to the feedback from your students. Uh, what are you guys really focusing on? Are you focused on the quantity of the courses that you have to produce for the students or is it more of the quality in order to really benefit the listener or the, the, the student inside the course? Great question, Will. Our focus is quality. We want to put out courses that absolutely make sense that are going to resonate with people who are taking them, who are going to say, you know what? This is enhancing what I am doing as a hospitality professional. This is adding value. We don't mm -hmm. want to go for the mass approach and you simply put out a ton of stuff and say, here you go. You know, it, it yeah. should not be a dump of just dumping all kinds of information out there. So we make sure that every course that's put out there is got, it's got value. It makes sense. It's, it's well taught of. It's well put together. It's well you know, structured. All mm -hmm. of that is very important to us. If we're not doing that, then the learning outcomes that we expect, we're not going to get them. So it's very important to make sure that the courses are well written. So certainly it's quality over quantity. We'd rather not have enough, but what we have is very good than to have too much. And what we have is just absolutely dreadful. And I remember reading a quote by a famous English writer, Dr. Johnson, and who's probably one of the most uh, 
you know, prolific and really amazing users of the English language, who was, because he's late now, Johnson. And I remember a story about a writer who came to Johnson and said, hey, can you review my work? And Johnson said to this particular writer, your work is good and is original. And the writer said, so why won't you help me publish it? And Johnson said, well, in reading your work, I noticed this. What's good about your work is not original. And what's originally by your work is not good. <laughs> so, wow. so, so we want to do work that's truly good and truly original. So, yeah. so that's a great question you asked. <laughs> no, that's that's too funny. Well, uh, or I I don't know, and you you kind of brought up something in the conversation on your guys's uh, LinkedIn group. You know, sixty one thousand members plus. Um, how did you guys do that? How how have you guys created such a, a powerful team with such a powerful audience right out the gate? Well, obviously not right out the gate. Obviously, it takes time and a lot of effort and energy to do that, as we all know. Um, but that is just an, an incredible number. So I'm just kind of curious from the building blocks. Uh, what what did you guys do to get to that point? Great question. It's actually 161,000. So 161,000. I think by the end of this year, we should easily hit 200,000 people from all over the globe. So we've seen a lot of growth with that group. And the reason is we want to make sure that content that's put on that that group is curated carefully. We get a lot of posts every day. We've got a full-time admin that's dedicated to that group. And a lot of groups can't afford to do that. They can't afford the time or the expense. We're fortunate in the sense that we're able to dedicate one person solely to managing a, a LinkedIn page. How great is that? So every content that's posted is carefully curated. There are a lot of spammy posts online is on social yeah. media, period. So we've got a gatekeeper whose job is to go in and filter through this post and make sure that posts that are not adding value don't get approved. Mm-hmm. And every post on the International Hospitality Institute's group on LinkedIn has to be approved. You don't just get, you don't just post and it's automatic. Every post has to be approved. We respond to posts very timely. So we make sure that on a daily basis, at least two or three times a day, someone is going in and reviewing posts and approving them or not approving them. So that's key. You have to be adding value. No one wants to read a page, be part of a group that's all full, that's full of spam. No one wants that. People want to feel that the content that they're reading is adding value to their lives because time is very important. If you're going to sit there reading through 50 ads and 50 spammy posts, you know, you're not, you're not going to come back. And that's why the group has seen such massive growth on LinkedIn. In fact, uh, a couple of days ago, we received a message from LinkedIn saying that our group has been selected for something called the Inner Circle uh, okay. Group Program. Inner Circle Group Program, which means that LinkedIn is going to highlight and promote our group's page, uh, post on LinkedIn. Just sort of in recognition of the work that our group is doing in having content as quality content. So LinkedIn sent us that message just recently that we've been selected to be part of the inner circle group, you know, peer, you know, group that they've got. So yeah. we want to make sure we're moderating the group very carefully, curating all the content that's put out there and also constantly responding, responding very quickly to people who are posting content and providing feedback. All of that drives engagement. 100%. And that's the reason why the group is growing so uh, so exponentially. Well, I think that's why Facebook really fails at groups. If if um, if anyone asks me to join a Facebook group, the most likely answer is no. Uh, because, <laughs> Short answer, right? No. <laughs> yes, no. Because of the the spamminess, the the dumb like no offense to people yeah. that may, you know don't like, but the dumb posts that just make no sense to the theme or the 
the you know the title of the group it's just like what is that? <laughs> I, I i don't get it and it's it's a mind-blowing like it's a good entertainment source yeah uh, but at the end of the day when you're talking about time of quality and, and spending that time uh, in, in an efficient way, uh, those groups are not it. So the fact that you guys are able to really dedicate a moderator to 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 go through quality versus quantity again, um, and we all know, you know, I think as you probably seen, uh, LinkedIn social media platforms they push anything that keeps people on their platform. So if you're driving really good conversation, getting people to comment and like and share and do all this other stuff inside the platform instead of redirecting them to a new website, which is why a lot of people, I think it's a very hard game when they create um, private groups outside of their these social media um, companies because they're they're going to see that you're, tra- you're trying to take away that attention span. And so then they don't you know promote or show uh, your they call it's like blacklisting. They 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 just kind of shadow ban you in the sense yeah. of uh, content and and promotion and viewership. So uh, you guys are definitely doing it right, using that to your advantage uh, when it comes to the the platform itself. Because the longer you can keep people there, besides LinkedIn's a way better quality platform. If if you're asking me, just from a professional standpoint. Um, it's no, I'm glad it's no longer just a resume, uh, a virtual, resume. it's definitely more of a, uh, you know, I love, I like the B2B influencership has, you know, it pushes people to be transparent and pushes people to, to really think about what they're posting and when it comes to uh, bringing value to that. So I think it's a good choice for you to grow up a group on that platform instead of Facebook. I've said this on Slick Talk many times before, and as time goes on, it becomes more and more true. Operators have been so used to multiple logins, different dashboards, and overall segregated data points for their hospitality brand. I'm proud to say this is no longer going to be the case for the industry. As a podcast partner, Journey MOS is made for operators by operators. One dashboard, one solution to keep your business in shape and ahead of the competition. If you think this is too good to be true, then you need to go to journey.com, that is J-U-R-N-Y.com, to learn how Journey MOS can get you ahead of the big players in your market. And now, back to the episode. Thank you guys for obviously having better luck with it than, than most. So. so true, absolutely. Awesome. Well, okay, let's go into a couple more things just before we wrap up the episode, but I really want to know, you know, just... You, you talk about legacy and I think this is not something we cover much on the podcast. We talk about, you know, where did you start? how did you get to where you are? All this other stuff. What's the legacy that you want to leave behind outside of making an impact on some people's lives? What, what's really that, what's that driver for you? Is there a certain person or uh, an experience in your life that just made you really want to shift that direction? I love your question. It's just uh, absolutely brilliant. You know, two things, you know, two quotes immediately, immediately come to mind for me. They happen to be the two quotes that drive my actions more than anything else. And these are from two great American leaders. And one of them is Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, the most persistent and urgent question of our time is this, what are you doing for others? The most persistent and urgent question of our time is, what are you doing for others? That quote resonates so well with me. I mean, it just, it just, gives me chills each time I think about it. 
And the second quote is by an American educator who's late now, Horace Mann. Horace Mann famously wrote, you should be ashamed to die unless you've done something good for humanity. Mm. And his actual quote was, you should be ashamed to die unless you scored some victory for humanity, which is really the same thing. And that hits me, you yeah. know, that you should be ashamed to die unless you've won some victory for humanity. You should be ashamed to die. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. So it's all about legacy. It's all about giving back. It's all about having a positive impact. And giving back and having a positive impact is not about giving someone money. Mm-hmm. It's not about building someone a house or buying them a car. It's simply about being a helping hand, mm-hmm. a kind voice, someone who says, great job. Someone who says, thank you. Someone who says, Will, you look great. I love that hairstyle. I love that shirt. Will, thank you for the impact you're having. Yeah. Will, you know, you inspire me. I think you, your, your postings on social media inspire me. Mm-hmm. You know, I read one that you posted yesterday where you talked about dancing <laughs> and wanting to find time to dance, to do something that you love to do. Yeah. Or you're so busy with work, at times you feel guilty where you have to take time out to do something that you love to do. And that really struck me. Mm-hmm. You know, so you inspired me. And this is the kind of things when, that I talk about when it comes to making an impact on others and living in legacy. You don't have to build a house for someone. You don't have to buy them a car to live a legacy. You don't have to write a book that's a bestseller. Mm-hmm. A kind word, a smile, you know, a, a positive, you know, some positive comments, yeah. an inspirational post on social media. Anything can uplift other people. That's what I want to be remembered for. As someone who cared about other people, who had great compassion, who wanted to make a difference in his own little way, who wanted to make a dent in the universe, who wanted to give back in a country that's been so kind to him, who Mm -hmm. wants to be able to give back. In a world where we're all brothers and sisters, who wants to be able to give back. And that essentially is my mission. Is that what what kind of instilled this in you, was that you you came to this country and you just were overwhelmed with welcome or what, what, what's real, what's real. I want to get to the core of this for you. Like what, who, who, who gave back to you in the beginning that you're, you're paying it forward. I've had so many wonderful mentors, but I love what you said about beginnings and not a lot of people know this. When I came to the U S many years ago, mm-hmm. I was actually homeless. Oh, this wow. is something I don't talk about very often. I lived in a park. So I found myself living in a park. I had no money. I was broke. I had no place to stay. And I, I lived in a park in Washington, D.C., trying to get my foot, you know, get my feet, uh, get myself together, get my feet on the ground. It's a long story. You don't have enough time on your show to cover all of that. But I have known about humble beginnings. I've known about wretched beginnings. I've known about suffering and pain and deprivation and not having. And I'm in a country that's been incredibly kind to me, that's given me vast opportunities to improve myself and be a sort of light to a few people and also giving me the opportunity to learn from so many other people. And how could I not be grateful? How could I not be grateful? How could I not want to give back? How could I not want to contribute? So I've been incredibly blessed. And like I said, it's a long story. and You don't have enough time on your shelf. But maybe another day you and I will sit down and, and, and talk in depth about that. And uh, well, I suspect that you're running out of time already. <laughs> no, uh, you... Uh... Honestly, like I, my, one of my rules is that I don't limit the podcast due to time because of time. Yeah. Um, and you actually really struck a chord with me. Like I'm almost in tears. Um, that is a beautiful, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that just because um, I, you know, I, I don't know. I struggle with how do we balance, you know, not going on a long tangent and how do you do uh, this, but you know, 
uh, when I was 17, I was homeless as well. So like just hearing your story, you know that. Yeah. So just hearing yours, like you're, you know, coming to this country with nothing and just really just building the the life that you have. Mm -hmm. Um, it really strikes a chord and like an emotional level with me. So, uh, I, I, I don't care if we have, uh, hours or, or minutes to share. I, I just want to say thank you for, for sharing that. Um, yeah, no, it, it definitely strikes, uh, strikes a personal chord. So I, I just got to say, you know, you, you've done incredible work and you're inspiring to me as well. Um, you kind of popped out of the, the woodwork when it came to, uh, to COVID-19 and, and, and being on LinkedIn. I just kind of saw your name pop up out of nowhere. IHI started showing up and then that list of um, the 50 top influential uh, people in hospitality showed up. And, and, and then from all these moments building up to now, um, it's just been really incredible to see uh, the, I don't know. I, I just am very blessed and honored that you were on the podcast to, to share your story. And it's uh, really cool to see how it's all kind of worked out and the, the little things that have happened along the way. You're very kind. You're very kind, Will. You're very kind. The work you're doing is important. You're making a difference in so many ways. You're inspiring people and you're leading. And ultimately, that's what it's all about. You don't have to have a fancy title to lead. Anyone can lead and provide guidance. We can be a beacon of light to anyone, to everyone. We can learn from anyone. And, and, and I love that. I think your story and mine are very similar in many ways. I mean, I never give up on myself and you never give up on yourself. We had dark moments. We had times when we wondered, is it even worth it? What is all this about? Why am I here? Why am I going through this? You know, moments where you do some serious soul searching, some introspection, and you feel like you've reached your breaking point. Mm-hmm. We're bent, but we never broke. You know, we never give up on ourselves. We knew that somehow something was going to happen for us. There was going to be a way. We're just going to stick with it and keep pushing and fighting and pushing and fighting one day at a time. And here we are still standing all these years, still standing, still standing all these years. So ultimately, we have to believe in ourselves. We have to believe that we have a value. We have a mission on this planet. And and we are not going anywhere until our mission is done. Mm. So, so as long as we have that sense of mission, we're going to keep fighting. We are not going anywhere until our mission is done. We've got a mission and we're going to keep fighting and fighting every day. And that's what you do so brilliantly. And that's why you've been so incredibly successful at what you do. You run easily two or three companies and you find time to do what you do, you know, on this podcast. And uh, you, you also find time to dance, which I think is so cool. <laughs> I think well, it's so cool. from a guy who can't dance. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll have to get out to Dallas and we'll go, we'll oh, go absolutely. to, absolutely. Get, we'll to a, a dance bar or something. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, no, it's just, I love the mission statement and, and just, I, I think, you know, you make that choice early on in the beginning, like when you're going through that struggle, you really make that choice to keep pushing forward um, instead of giving in. And I think that, you know, the one thing I've talked about in hospitality, and I think you'll understand this very much so, especially starting out at the front desk, was, you know, we are, we are encountered with thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of decisions a day, mm-hmm. uh, whether we acknowledge them or not. You know, when, when you see a guest walks up to a front desk and they're having, uh, maybe they had a long flight, their, their flight got delayed, they're irritable, they're angry, they're asking, you know, they're getting mad at you for asking them to, a bunch of questions uh, about their reservation and all this other stuff. But you can make a decision to make a comment off script, you know, 
Mr. Dr. Jeffrey, this, or not, not Mr. Dr. Je- Dr. Jeffrey, I realized like, hey, you're, you're having a probably rough time here. I see you're a Marriott member with us. Here's a, a drink voucher. Just go. I, you know, I'll take your, I'll take your bags up to the room. Go enjoy a drink or a, a, a coffee on me. I just want you to relax and to have to have a good experience with us. Simple little decisions that we make in our life have such a great impact. And like you're saying, in people's lives, in your life, in the direction that you go. Um, so it really just shows that you. you you, you make choices so many uh, times that we don't think about how they got us, you know, that choice back when I was 17 or that choice, right. When you first got to this country was, you know, to move, to keep moving, to keep going, to not stop and, and to, to believe in something bigger than you. So yeah, no, it's, it's really incredible. And to, to have your story on the podcast and to have this conversation, this, like a lot of people ask, um, you know, most of the time, you know, I've been doing the podcast almost four years in March and they said, why are you doing it for so long? Like most people don't do podcasts that much. They, wow. <laughs> they do a couple of seasons or whatever, but it's over, right? <laughs> exactly. But for me, it's these conversations. Like how often do you get to hear a story like this? How often do you get to connect with someone who's in Dallas while I'm in Colorado? Um, and we've never met in person. How often does this get to happen? Um, it's a, it's a really beautiful thing. And at the end of the day, if I never made a dime off the podcast, I would still do it because this is what drives me. So thank you for sharing your story and taking the time to, to really just be as transparent as you have been. Um, and so I love to ask the final question at the end of every episode is if you can have a listener uh, who's looking through the show notes right now or on their phone or on the HFM website or on Spotify or wherever, where is the one place you would send them if you had one link to take them? Would it be LinkedIn? Would it be a website? Where would it be? I say LinkedIn because LinkedIn has a lot of people that you're trying to reach. A lot of people in our space who are looking for the kind of message that you are propounding. So I would say LinkedIn. If I had to pick one spot, I would say LinkedIn because a vast audience, millions and millions of users, people in our space, people beyond who you know work outside of the hospitality industry, who are going to stumble on your message and say, hey, you know what? I love that message. I love hearing, you know, from that Will Slickers guy. So that's ultimately, yeah. Oh, you're kind. You're very kind. You're very kind. So I, I think I would say LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, I'm going to make sure that everything is in the show notes. We're going to have IHI plugged in. We're going to have your LinkedIn plugged in. We're not just going to give you one link. I promise. <laughs> Uh, but you heard it first here, Slick Talkers. So go ahead, check out the show notes, like and subscribe, everything uh, involving Dr. Jeffrey or IHI and get your get your education on it. Have fun. Uh, maybe do some upskill, reskills uh, going into the industry in this new year of 2022. And uh, Dr. Jeffrey, I just want to say thank you so much again for joining me on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Well, you're very kind. Thanks for letting me learn from you. Thanks for being on, for having me on the show. Thanks for doing what you do on a daily basis. You're changing lives. You're having a positive influence on people's lives. And I truly mean that. Please don't stop what you're doing. Please. Right back at you. Any way we can support each other, let's keep going. Thank so, you. yes. <laughs> you heard it here first, podcaster, or not podcasters, slick talkers. So go ahead, check in next week's episode, and we'll see you all again very soon. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to our show partners for making Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast possible. We hope you enjoy the show and we would love to connect with you outside of the podcast. So you can follow us on all of our social media channels for daily hospitality content or find us on slicktalkthepodcast.com 
And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Will Slickers, and we will see you guys all again next week. What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast, then you are amazing, and thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill-out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.